24. Strap in. We're going to go. We're going to go. I'm going to save announcements for the end tonight. I've got several that I want to highlight tonight at the end. But we're going to go through Luke 24 tonight. We finish up the Gospel of Luke. It's been a great study. Hope you have enjoyed it. If you want notes, the notes are there on your tables. Here's where we're going tonight. I want to point out before we dive into Luke 24, what I call a key verse from the chapter. It is verse 25 of Luke 24, where Jesus says to these two followers of his that he's accompanying on the way to Emmaus. He says, you foolish people, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You'll notice there too that Jesus is equating what the prophets have said with what God says. They are one and the same. The point I want to make is that Jesus is challenging people to believe in Him. One of the emphasis in this chapter is this. Jesus wants us to know Him, but more important than that, He wants us to believe in Him. More importantly than just knowing Him is believing in Him. And so I want to take that thought that sort of casts a shadow over the entire chapter. And I want to go back up then to verse 1, where we see the discovery at the empty tomb. And you'll notice there, the Bible says, On the first day of the week at early dawn, the women went to the tomb, taking the aromatic spices they had prepared. You'll notice there in the notes, I put, The expectation of of these women was a dead body, not a risen Savior. One of the key elements that Luke is trying to nail down here is this. There is no hint among any of the followers of Jesus Christ that his resurrection was anticipated. Jesus' own followers had to be convinced of his resurrection. They were all skeptics. Unlike the liberal scholars down through the years who have uh, drawn up naturalistic theories to explain away the resurrection of Jesus Christ by touting the fact that Jesus' followers actually was looking for the resurrected Jesus, that's not true at all. Every last one of them was a skeptic. There was no one that thought that Jesus was going to rise from the dead three days later, including these women. If these women really thought, really believed in what Jesus had said, they wouldn't have wasted their money on these aromatic spices to anoint a dead body because they would have known that his body wasn't going to be in the tomb. It was going to be raised. It reminds us of this, that when you and I don't believe in what Jesus has said or in Jesus, there are many times in our life where we can waste doing something or not doing something that is absolutely unnecessary. It was unnecessary for them to buy these spices. If they would have believed, you see. So this is what Luke is trying to tell us. First of all, so that it actually cements uh, in our hearts that when these people did become convinced that Jesus rose from the dead... It was because they truly saw what they saw and experienced what they experienced. It wasn't because they were hallucinating. It wasn't because they really wanted to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They had to be convinced of it. You'll notice there that they found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, and when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood beside them in dazzling attire. We know that these two men were angels by going over to verse uh, 23, where it, it says, We saw a vision 
of angels. That solidifies it. The women were terribly frightened, bowed their faces in reverence to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Here again is that if Jesus is alive, therefore he's not in a tomb, you're looking in the wrong place. So here again, it reminds us, when you and I do not believe in Jesus or in the word of God, we can be looking somewhere and, and anticipating that this is where we need to look and we can be missing what God is doing over here because we're not believing. And so again, belief just shapes everything or lack of it of, of how we look at life, where we're looking, what we're wasting or not wasting on, what can be necessary or unnecessary. It absolutely shapes everything. And so again, this is a challenge. If we're believing right now, then that means we're looking where God is at. But, but we have to understand at moments in our life where we're not believing, where we're not trusting, where we're not putting our confidence, we can be looking in a, in a wrong direction. We can be looking where God is not, if you will. He's over here and we're not believing and we're looking over here. It's exactly what happened to the, the women. Because they did not believe, they end up going to a tomb where he wasn't. And to expecting him to be there when he wasn't. And then the Bible goes on to say in verse 6, He's not here, but has been raised. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then the women remembered his words. See, belief, when we begin to believe, we begin to remember and recall his word. It's one of the things that belief will take us back to his word. And that means then when we begin to believe, they're un we're unable to contain the good news. After they remembered that, they returned from the tomb. Verse 9, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Notice, these words seem like pure nonsense to them. Again, they weren't anticipating the resurrected Jesus. By the way, the word nonsense is an interesting word. It's a word that literally means delirious from pain. It was a word like, here's how we would use it today to try to parallel it. It'd be like going to the dentist and getting a shot of Novocaine or, you know, getting some morphine. Or like to, it's like to, to take care of the pain and you're, you're seeing things and you're hearing things and you can't be trusted. That's what they're, they're basically saying. You women can't be trusted. You, you are in such pain because you, you listen, three days earlier, you saw our Lord die a horrible death and you're still grieving and you're still in all this pain. And therefore, you know, you're, you're just, you're just delirious. That's what, that's what it is. That's the nonsense here. They did not notice believe them. But I'll give Peter one thing. Verse 13. Peter at least had something within him to say, you know what? I may not believe this yet, but I'm at least going to get up out of my seat and I'm going to go to the tomb myself and I'm going to check this out for myself. That's where Peter needs to be commended. Because even though he's still wrestling with, I, I don't know whether I really believe that my Jesus has been raised I'm going to go check it out for myself. He bent down, 
saw only the strips of linen cloth. Then he went home wondering what had happened. Again, he hadn't come to that place yet, but you can tell it's like, hmm, I gotta, I gotta contemplate this. And Peter at least was willing to take a closer look. But I want to go back to a main point here that Luke is building throughout this chapter. The original witnesses had to be convinced of his resurrection. They had to be convinced of his resurrection because they did not believe. They knew Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They saw his miracles. They had heard him predict many times, I've got to go to a cross. I've got to die. But three days later, I will rise from the dead. In fact, in this gospel, the gospel of Luke, no less than six times Luke records that in his dealings with the disciples, he told them ahead of time he was going to rise from the dead, but they did not believe. Belief makes all the difference in the world. Then we come to the story of this great story of the Jesus accompanying these two followers of his, not any of the 11 disciples, but two other followers on a road to Emmaus. And this passage is unique to Luke. And the main emphasis here is Jesus wants us to know him. But again, more than that, he wants us to know him and to believe in him. And he is willing to accompany us down a road, down a journey, down a season of life and do whatever it takes so that we will know him and believe in him more. In the notes, I put, God will gradually begin to reveal himself to these disciples. And and that's exactly what he does in our life. He doesn't necessarily come in and just lay it all on us at once. When God is revealing things to us, usually through our spiritual growth and our fellowship with him, he does it gradually. So that it's sort of every step of the way, it's cemented into our life, into our mind, and into our heart. So I'm not going to take the time tonight to read all this, but he's going down. And and here's one of the cool things about this passage. This is one of those passages of scripture where you're sitting outside looking in. And as a reader of scripture, you actually know more about what's going on than they do. Because the Bible basically said that these two followers did not know that this was Jesus who was walking with him. And yet you and I are sitting there reading it going, it's Jesus! It's Jesus! Jesus!" And they're like, they're just walking along, you know, they're just talking. In fact, they almost rebuke Jesus because he's like, he's asking them questions about what's happened in Jerusalem. And they're like, are you the only one around here that doesn't know what happened? You know, they're like, you you gotta be good. Everybody's heard about what happened in Jerusalem to this Jesus. In fact, they go on to say, Verse 19, uh, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, they replied, a man who with his powerful deeds and words proved to be a prophet before God and all the people. So they recognized that in some way Jesus was special, that he had power from God, that he was a prophet. But obviously they had not gotten to the point in their walk of faith where they believe he is the son of God, the Lord of glory, and obviously has been raised from the dead. They go on to say how our chief priests, verse 20, and rulers handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Not only this, but it is now the third day since these things happened. Now, they do go on to relate how news travels fast, even in this day before cell phones and whatnot, that some women of our group amazed us, verse 22. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back and said they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. 
So they, they, haven't, they haven't gotten there yet, but they are at least reporting what the women supposedly have said. Now notice again what Jesus says, verse 25, you foolish people. The word for foolish in the Bible doesn't mean ignorant, doesn't mean intellectually dumb or anything. It means unwilling. There's an unwillingness there in some way. And then he uses a great phrase. He says, you foolish people, how slow of heart to believe. Think about what Jesus is saying. Slow of heart. Boom, boom, boom. Not, not, not much engagement, not much excitement. When our heart is beating fast, it means we're in. We're engaged in something. Something has got high interest. That's what gets our heart beating faster. That's fast of heart. And Jesus is saying, you are foolish because you are slow of heart. You're not really all in. You're not really all engaged with the Word of God and with the promises of God yet. You are slow of heart to believe. And because of that, you're walking this road to Emmaus and you're all downcast and you're all hopeless and you're all upset because you haven't yet believed. And so he says, wasn't it necessary, verse 26, for the Christ to suffer these things? Notice there, I even put in the note, Jesus takes them to the scriptures. That's where Jesus takes them to. And he says, wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter his glory? Then I love this, beginning with Moses. So that's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. Obviously, New Testament hasn't been written yet. But he takes them through an Old Testament survey. And what he's telling them is that Scripture's promises center on him. That the Old Testament is pointing to him. This obviously contradicts modern theologians, liberal theologians, who, who don't even believe that Jesus was seen in the Old Testament at all. He absolutely was. He was the center and main character in the Old Testament, just like he is in the New Testament. But again, it takes eyes of faith and eyes of belief to be able to see the Jesus of the Old Testament. This is one of my favorite parts of the whole story and the whole chapter. Verse 28. As they approached the village where they were going, he acted as though he wanted to go further. It's like faked him out. Jesus was faking him out. I'm not really going further, but I'm acting like I'm going further. They urged him saying, stay with us because it is getting toward evening and the day is almost done. And I love this. He went in to stay with them. Jesus never passed up an opportunity to fellowship with somebody who wanted to fellowship with him. And then here's, here's the really cool part. When he had taken his place at the table, if you mark your Bible, mark at the table. That's key. Why? Because notice it was at the table with them. When he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Notice I put there in the notes a very key principle. It is through fellowship at the table that further recognition about Jesus comes. That's why God invites us to his table, if you will, every day. It is when you and I, as his followers... 
sit at our table, whatever that is, with Him, that we further understand Him and recognize Him. It comes through communion and fellowship. What is your table? Where is your table with Jesus? Where is it that you go to be with Jesus on a daily basis so that you can recognize and understand and grasp more and more of who He is. Because it only comes at the table. It only comes in fellowship with Him. We can again know a lot about Jesus, just like these followers do. But unless we're spending time at a table, if you will, with Jesus in fellowship, that many times we cannot go from knowing about Him to truly knowing Him and being thoroughly acquainted with Him and believing in Him. Then I love this part. The Bible says, at this point their eyes were opened, they recognized Him, verse 31, then He vanished out of their sight, and they say to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while He was speaking with us on the road, and while He was explaining the Scriptures to us? The Scriptures explained, lit a fire in these followers. And that's what God wants to use His Word to do in our lives. He wants to light a fire within us through having the Scriptures explained to us. This phrase, uh, burn within us, is a phrase in the Greek language that literally means a desire to learn more and to grow. In other words, it's sort of this great principle that God gives that our appetite for the Word of God, if it's not there, and we're not going to Bible studies, and we're not reading our Bible and studying it, and we're not in a church that teaches the Word, then like anything, even physically, our appetite will be dulled, and we won't even miss it that much. But the more we read it, and the more we study it, and the more we have it explained to us, it begins to light a fire that we just want more and more. We can't get enough of it. And so the more the Word of God we get, the more we want. Because it tastes so good. And we understand the value and profitability of this Word of God. And so that's what God wants to do in our lives as Christians. He wants having the Scriptures explained to us to light a fire within us so that we will desire to learn and even grow more. And then the Bible teaches us another principle. That when we know the truth, we share the truth. Because the Bible says in verse 33, they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Why? Because they couldn't wait to share the truth that had been revealed to them. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together and saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. There's a side note that only Luke tells us about. I have a feeling that Jesus had a special meeting with Simon because of Peter's denials. Even before the last chapter of John that records his interaction with Peter, uh, with the other disciples, when he says, feed my sheep, I think Jesus even had another private meeting that we are uh, given a glimpse into here. We don't know anything about it. The scriptures don't record it. It was just private between Jesus and Simon. But it's so cool to see that Jesus took the time to go back to Simon privately 
and encourage his heart after he had fallen. Then they told what had happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. This brings us then to Jesus' final appearance. While they were saying these things, again, so the women are there. They're like, hey, the angels said he's risen. And now these two other followers of Jesus who were on their way to Emmaus come back and they tell the 11, hey, you know, other followers there, this is what happened. He's alive. He appeared to us. Notice again that the disciples were slow to accept the evidence and get on board because while they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them. He just appeared. And he said to them, peace be with you. I put there in the notes an important principle. Jesus' presence brings peace. And this word for peace in the Greek language also has the idea or implication of assurance. God wants to assure us through His Word, through His presence. His presence brings peace, which also is the opposite of fear. That's why Jesus wants us to draw close to Him, because when we have His presence and we, when we feel close to God, fear just leaves. Because fear and the presence of Jesus can't coexist together. But notice the disciples. They were startled and terrified, thinking they saw a ghost, a spirit. They, they still didn't buy that this was Jesus. That's, I'm seeing a ghost. And then the Bible goes on to say, he said to them, why are you frightened? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Notice I put there again in the notes, Jesus challenges their doubts. The word doubt here means to hesitate. In other words, Jesus, there are those who have sincere doubts about things, but when they're presented the evidence, it's like, oh, okay, the doubts are gone. And Jesus simply saying, okay, disciples, I've been patient with you. I've given you enough time now. I've given you enough evidence, enough proof. In fact, I'm going to give you the final proof. You need to now be challenged To once and for all, believe and stop hesitating to believe that I have risen from the dead. And what's Jesus do to bring this about? He says in verse 39, look at my hands and my feet. It's me. In other words, it's not just a spirit. It's not a ghost. He says, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones like you see I have. Here again is insight into our glorified bodies. The Bible teaches our glorified bodies after we die and are resurrected or are changed at the rapture are going to be in some way like our earthly bodies. Just like, you know, we can touch, we can feel in heaven. We're not just going to be some disembodied spirit. Just like Jesus. But obviously our glorified body in some ways is going to be much different than our earthly body as well. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. The word showed here in the Greek means to give evidence or proof. Jesus saying, you want proof? You want evidence? Here, touch me. See, unlike what some people say, 
God doesn't expect any human being to follow him blindly. Faith is built upon facts. It is never blind faith. God never expected any human being to believe in him blindly. That's why part of the gospel, you know, many people say from 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's correct, except they're leaving one other very important piece of the gospel out. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, there's no break between this. There's a comma, but there's no period. It is the death, the burial, the resurrection, and all the post-resurrection appearances. They are also part of the gospel because they are also the proof and evidence that God gave to show all men that Jesus conquered death, that he is alive. And that he's not still in the tomb. The post-resurrection appearances are huge. This is exactly what Luke said at the beginning of his gospel. This is what he said in the book of Acts, his continuation of the gospel of Luke. He told Theophilus, this man that he was writing all this to, that I'm giving you these many infallible proofs. I'm giving you evidence. And that's exactly what we base our faith on. We base it on the eyewitness testimony of these people that's recorded in Scripture. They saw the risen Jesus. They were there. And we come to faith based upon their eyewitness testimony. Now again, the truth is slowly but surely dawning because the Bible says in verse 41, while they still could not believe it, because of their joy, And were amazed, he said to them, do you have anything here to eat? He could fit right in at the oasis, let me tell you. Now, what the Bible is saying here is that that the disciples at this point were sort of feeling like this is too good to be true. That's what that means there. That they still haven't quite believed because it's like, no, he... He can't really be alive. That, that would just be so amazing. It's almost like they, they almost just didn't want to quite go there yet. Now here again, a hint to the glorified body. Because people ask me, hey, are we going to eat in heaven? I'm like, well, Jesus ate in his glorified body. In fact, the Bible says they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it in front of them. Again, showing them, look, I'm alive. I'm not a spirit. I can eat. Hallelujah, we're going to eat in heaven. Verse 44, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, in other words, basically the whole Testament, must be fulfilled. One of the things that I put up there in the notes, and I skipped over it purposefully because I wanted to show you how often this word was used. If you go back up to the notes under the discovery of the empty tomb and go down to see God's divine design, throughout this chapter, the word must or necessary is used over and over and over again to show, again, 
The death of Jesus didn't catch God by surprise. It wasn't like he was up there wringing his hands saying, I'm out of control. I don't know what's going on. No, everything that happened to Jesus was exactly to the plan and to the letter of what God had predicted and prophesied would happen through all the Old Testament scriptures. And that's what Jesus keeps bringing them back to. Guys, if you would have just known that these passages in the Psalms and the prophets and in the book of Moses spoke about me, then you wouldn't have been threatened. And you wouldn't have been all upset when I died because you would have actually been at the tomb three days later not to anoint my body with spices, but you would have been there to watch me rise from the dead. That's what the difference between belief and unbelief does. Now notice a very important principle. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Very important principle. We need God's help to understand the Scriptures. Human beings cannot understand the Word of God apart from the help of God. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, the natural man, the man that doesn't have the Holy Spirit abiding in him, cannot understand spiritual things. In fact, Paul goes on to say to the Corinthians, they're foolishness to the natural man. You and I could never expect an unsaved person who does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them to help them understand. Because remember, Jesus even said, the main sort of purpose of the Holy Spirit after I go is to come and teach you all things. That's why God gives us His Holy Spirit within us, so that we, on our own, with His help, can understand what the Scriptures are saying. But apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, this all just doesn't make sense. And that's why God has to open our minds. But here's the thing. Our minds and hearts need to be open. They can't be closed. They, they need to be willing to believe. And if evidence is presented, that we objectively go, okay, there's, there's the evidence. I believe. Instead of like some human beings throughout history who go, I don't care how much evidence God gives me that he's alive, that he's real. How much evidence God gave me that Jesus conquered death? How much evidence God gives me that he was really the son of God? I don't care. I'm a fool. I'm unwilling. I'm not going to believe no matter what God does. And there are people like that. And that's why they will go out into eternity without Christ. Because they're unwilling to open their minds and hearts so that he can open them to understand. He said to them, thus it stands written, verse 46, that the Christ would suffer and would rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all generations, or to all nations, excuse me, beginning from Jerusalem. Notice there I put another very important principle in the notes. What God promises, He brings to pass. Everything that God predicted would happen surrounding the life and ministry and death and burial and resurrection and appearances of Jesus happened exactly as God said. So that's why we can trust Him. That's why we can believe. That's why we can have confidence because there's nothing that God ever promises that He will not bring to pass. Because of that, then Jesus challenges them as well as us that all who believe are to be witnesses. He says in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This again is speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
So notice another very important principle. God will grant supernatural enablement for the task ahead and at hand. Whatever God calls us to, whatever God expects of us, whatever God asks of us to do, He will give us the power to do it. You can always count on that. God never will ask you to do something that He will not also give you the accompanying enablement to do, just like He did the original followers. Then very simply, Luke wraps up Jesus' departure. He said, Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up His hands, He blessed them. Then during the blessing, He departed and was taken up into heaven. Even in His very last minutes with His followers, He's blessing them. Let me give you my version of what this blessing was. Guys, I love you. You can do this. You will do this for my glory. Get out there and just keep following me. He was giving them, I think, an, a, a rallying speech, an encouraging, a pep talk, if you will. That's what blessing them is. It's not just... No. There's something real practical here. It was very practical encouragement that Jesus was giving before He left and went to heaven. He didn't leave us. To just desert us. He left us so that He could guide us. He left us so that He could intercede for us. He left us so He could send the Holy Spirit. Great is God's faithfulness. Now notice, the reality of God in people's lives will lead to four things. Worship, joy, fellowship, and thanksgiving. You see them all here in these last couple of verses. They worshipped Him, verse 52. Then they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple. That means they were fellowshipping with each other and blessing God. That word blessing there means to thank, to be thankful, to be grateful. So there they are. The reality of God led to worship, joy, fellowship, and thanksgiving. And then I put there in the notes, Jesus' ministry, though, continues. It continues through His followers. His ministry isn't over, if you will. And that's why the book of Acts, the second book, if you will, the sequel to the Gospel of Luke that Luke writes, is where he picks up then in the book of Acts and says, Jesus is still alive and He's still working. He's just, instead of being physically here now, He's working through His followers. So guess what that means? That means 2,000 years later, He's doing the same thing through you. Doing the same thing through you that He did through His original witnesses and followers. He is still making Himself real to others through you. And He's asking all of us, do you believe? It's not enough just to know. Do you believe? Or would He say of us, don't be foolish. Don't be slow of heart to believe. Because when we don't believe, just like we've seen here in this passage of Scripture, there may be things that we are doing or not doing that is so unnecessary. There are things that we may be taking on that would be so unnecessary if we just believed in who Jesus was and what Jesus has said. And so that's why Jesus calls us to believe. It makes all the difference in the world. In fact, in closing tonight, let me turn you 
to the book of Romans real quick and show you this from Scripture. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. You can tie this verse in with Luke 24, 25. Romans 15, verse 13. Notice here what Paul says to the Roman Christians. He says, now may the God of hope, okay, fill you with all joy and peace. So hope, joy, peace, Sounds like what I want, right? How do I get hope, joy, and peace? How do I live in hope, joy, and peace every day? The next three words are key. As you believe. In fact, let's take five words. In Him. See, Christians want hope, joy, and peace. They want to experience hope, joy, and peace. But the Bible clearly teaches the only way even a Christian can experience hope, joy, and peace is what at that moment, in that season, in that circumstance, we are believing in Him. It's only when we're putting our confidence and trust in Him at any moment that we can experience the hope and the joy and the peace. Otherwise, the hope and the joy and the peace are very fleeting. And we can be as filled with angst and fretting and worry and anxious and all of that as even a person that doesn't know God if at that moment we're not believing in him. So let me read this verse then through. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, what unlocks hope, joy, peace, and power in our life? Belief. Belief. And that's what Luke 24 is about. We can clearly see from this chapter. That all the original witnesses of Jesus, all the original followers of Jesus, were not anticipating His resurrection. In fact, they had to be convinced. It was a slow process. Now, I'll say this to encourage you, or maybe someone you know. Be encouraged by that. Because God is a very patient God. And just because you or I or one of your family members or friends hasn't just gotten on board with belief doesn't mean God is just going to shove them away. No, Jesus is willing, like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, to accompany you on that road or anybody on that road, on that journey. As long as they're just a little bit open to what God has revealed. Because God understands, belief doesn't come instantaneously. God's revelation And and understanding comes through a process that God takes us through. And so be encouraged by that today, both in your own life and in the life of others as well. Don't be so hard on the disciples. You and I would have probably been the very same thing. But in this, we see the patience of Jesus to, to be there and to over and over again say, come on guys, I'm giving you the evidence and proof. Believe in me. Before we close in prayer tonight, a couple of announcements. This Sunday, March 24th, is Communion Sunday at the Oasis. The next Sunday, March 31st, is not only Easter Sunday, it is our third anniversary. So we are inviting people to come at 9.30. We're going to have a special sort of celebration uh, out on the patio between 9.30 and 10 o'clock. 
The following Sunday, April the 7th, is our potluck right here in the cafeteria after our service is over in the auditorium. Next week begins our new series in 2 Corinthians. The last couple weeks, I've asked all of you, would you consider, would you pray about taking one of these postcards and asking God, God, who would you maybe want me to give this to, to invite to this study? I think this study is just going to be a study that God can, again, really use in our lives to help us to grow more and know more and understand more about God and His ways in our life. And so we've got more postcards out there at the table on your way out. Please take one. Uh, we would love to get more people. Then... The following Tuesday, on April the 2nd, for four weeks, we're going to be offering a class on evangelism here. Uh, how to share your faith uh, on everyday situations. Nathan Lambert is going to be teaching it. It's going to be over in this building right here, right across the, the way. So we're hoping to get more people into this study. We're also hoping to get more of our people and other people maybe into the evangelism class in April for four weeks. A lot of good opportunities coming our way. I hope that uh, many people will take advantage of it. And then another opportunity. Uh, many of you know about this opportunity we have to be involved in this foster group home. There is a training coming up on Saturday, March the 30th. If you are at all interested, please make sure that you get to that training. Okay? That training is very important. And, and you may not even know what level you want to be involved. I don't think that training is going to hurt you at all. Here's the deal, though. We need you to understand the urgency of letting us know that you want to be at that training. The cutoff to let us know is March the 27th. So please, if you want to be at all involved in this, and especially at any kind of further level, Please make sure that you come to the training and please make sure that you let us know. If you have any questions uh, about this, the administrator of this uh, is someone I know quite well. Uh, her name is Lisa uh, Royce. She's back there at this table and she would be glad to answer any questions you have or if there's some specifics about off-site, she'll probably direct you to Lenore. If they're on-site, she'll probably direct you to Amanda or other general questions, she may even direct you to Michelle. So anyway, we've got it covered. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for this great chapter that, that sort of wraps up this great gospel. We, we thank you, God, for ending on such a powerful and encouraging note that death could not hold Jesus. Nothing can hold Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of glory, the King of kings. And He is above all. And Lord, help us to see that in You, that's true of us as well. That there should be nothing in this universe that holds us back. Because Lord, we have You. We, we have all that we need. We have all the power, all the resources we need. Our problem, Lord, comes down to many times, it's just we don't believe. We see it in the Scriptures. We read it in the Scriptures. We know about these truths. We know about these promises. We can even quote them. But until our heart and mind truly embrace them and believe in them, Lord, they really don't make any difference. They don't unlock the hope and the peace, and the joy, and the power of God. So God, help us to believe. Help us not to be slow of heart to believe.
Help us to be fully engaged. Help us, Lord, to to be so hungry to have your word explained and to have the Holy Spirit even teach us your word that it ignites a fire within us that we can't put out. That it gives us such an internal desire to just want to grow more and learn more about you and your word that nothing can ever put it out as long as we're alive. Go with us from this place, Lord. Help us to be your witnesses, to share with people that we are followers of a living Savior. And He wants to be in your life. And He wants to save you too. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, if I could have...